0: Every year the Church gives us the gift of Lent, a special time dedicated to prayer, fasting and almsgiving. While most Catholics pray and many of us fast, we sometimes neglect the gift of almsgiving. What is this ancient spiritual practice and how does it differ from just secular philanthropy? Join us today as we discover the power and the benefit of almsgiving with our special guest, Father Anthony Giambroni, a Dominican priest from the province of St. Joseph. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. presents. I'm Michael Hernan, Vice President of Advancement at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and today we'll be discussing the special gift that the Church gives us during this Lent, almsgiving. I'm joined here in our studios in Steubenville, Ohio, with Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology here at Franciscan University, Uh, Dr. Scott Hahn, the Father Michael Scanlon Chair in Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization at Franciscan University. And today our, our special guest, Father Anthony Jambrońi, a Dominican priest in the uh, the Province of Saint Joseph. Uh, father grew up in Dayton, Ohio. He went to Franciscan University here, uh, was both a part of the uh, Great Books program and uh, earned his degree in mathematics, which we'll have to see how that all connects together here. Uh, after graduation, he went on to uh, study at the Seminary for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati before discerning into the Dominican community. Uh, he joined that two years later. Uh, he finished his initial studies at the Dominican. House of Studies in Washington, D.C. Several years later he was sent on to uh, complete his STL at the Catholic University. Uh, after his ordination in 2009 he was assigned to the um, LOK, uh, Biblique? the uh, École Biblique, École Biblique uh, in Jerusalem where he continued uh, scripture studies and earned his SSL from the Pontifical Biblical Commission in Rome. Uh, currently is pursuing a PhD in Christianity and Judaism and antiquity uh, from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, Father, welcome to the program. It Thank you. Great to have you here. Well, a- as we begin this Lent, uh, you know, th- this is one of those uh, overlooked uh, gifts of the church, uh, spiritual practices. Uh, but but if you could just start out, what is almsgiving for us today?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, uh, it's always good to start with the meaning of words, and uh, alms in English is a clip for alimosina, uh, which is a Latin word, from elimosune, which is actually the Greek word for mercy. So, hmm. in the broadest sense, almsgiving is an act of mercy and uh, St. Thomas and the fathers of the church understand alms not simply as the uh, distribution of coins to destitute beggars, but in fact, all of the uh, corporal and spiritual works of mercy. So uh, it's it's an effect of charity. Uh, mercy is an effect of charity, and uh, alms is uh, the principal effect of uh, the commandment to love our neighbor. So this is something that
0: the church uh, calls us all to during, especially during this Lent, um, but- you know where where is this founded maybe in Scripture? Where can you help us just see you know, some of the the foundations of almsgiving?
1: sure. Um, well, uh, the short answer is everywhere. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, there's a certain point in uh, rabbinical thought and uh, Jewish history where, in fact, the word for commandment uh, simply becomes equatable with almsgiving, mitzvah, we know from the bar mitzvah, the son of a commandment. Uh, the commandment with the d- definite article, the preeminent commandment uh, for the Jews is understood to be this work of mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, So we see it from uh, the very beginning. Uh, It it appears in the Torah, especially in Deuteronomy. Um, There are multiple provisions, but particularly Deuteronomy 14, the end of that chapter. There's provision uh, to distribute a tithe among the poor, and this progresses. And uh, several uh, later books in the New, er, in the Old Testament, uh, Tobit uh, and Sirach are very, very um, uh, strong advocates of the importance, the significance. Uh, of alms giving and then this is simply inherited and intensified. In the New Testament, uh, of course, ultimately with the Lord um, uh, defining the, uh, the great commandment as the love of God and love of neighbor. Mm,
2: mm. You know, somebody might say, that's really disappointing. Uh,
1: <laughs> there's no escape.
2: <laughs> right. You know, this this scenario imperative, uh, I'm charged that's right. with having to share my largesse that's with right. others. That's optional. I, I didn't realize that. <clears throat> I, I, I right. thought it was uh, sort of detachable. I thought it was a private transaction between me and Jesus but in fact, it implicates my neighbor, <laughs> right?
1: Uh, it, it, it implicates me, um, that's, that's mm-hmm. the rub. Um, and it implicates my stuff, which is even yep. worse. Right, you have stuff, <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yeah, the, the Lord has a claim on all things. He has a claim on all creation. We're stewards of creation. Yeah. Uh, and this is, this is part of, it's an act of charity, but it's also an act of justice yeah. um, mm-hmm. that uh, those who are in need have in fact a right uh, which means we have a duty uh, right. to respond uh, to yeah. brothers and sisters who yeah.
2: are in want. Yeah. I, I noticed that when Michael introduced the theme, he was talking about it in terms of a gift. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a sort of positive spin, which I like. Mm-hmm. It is a duty, it, and it mm-hmm. can be pretty grim uh, mm-hmm. and disagreeable, but it, it it necessarily involves something good, mm-hmm. a, a movement of charity, a, an exercise of, of love. That's
3: right. Yeah. You know, inasmuch as the covenant can be understood in family terms, you can see a holy economy economy of gift, an economy of gratitude, yeah. so the justice is not simply uh, the reciprocity between individuals, buyers and sellers in the marketplace, but between parents and children, between spouses, between brothers and sisters as well. And this is writ large in Scripture. You know, when we hear about almsgiving or we hear about tithing, we, we, we're tempted to reduce it to a mosaic provision, mm-hmm. and therefore it's something that we have sort of transcended in the new. But even in the Law of Moses, you can see the Pentateuch, that the tithe comes long before the Mosaic legislation comes. All the way back in Genesis 14, Abraham is paying a tithe Mm -hmm. in the patriarchal period of the natural family before the Law of Moses is given in Exodus. Mm -hmm. I think that's significant because it shows us that the very fabric of creation going back to Genesis has already been crafted by God in covenant terms so that gift and gratitude are inseparable from justice. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the nice and neat and convenient distinction between tithing on the one hand and almsgiving on the other, you know, it's not so easily sustainable. Right. In scripture.
0: And, 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 and I think that's an important point because I think too many people equate them as exactly the same. Are they, in fact, the same? Tithing and almsgiving. You know, when we look at those terms, we hear tithing throughout the year. We hear almsgiving much more in Lent. Mm-hmm. So what, what are the distinctions? Are they the same?
1: Well, I mean, uh, as you say, there's, there's a kind of deep convergence, but um, it's important, I suppose, that tithing uh, not be understood in uh, too strictly a legalistic uh, way if, if we're going to understand the convergence of the two. Um, uh, technically, um, uh, a tithe... The, so, in, in the Old Testament, there are multiple tithes, in fact, and a first tithe goes uh, to the Levites, to the priests, and a uh, second tithe goes to the, uh, to the poor. Um, and so uh, one can distinguish uh, between the recipients uh, of mm-hmm. these benefactions, um, and that's uh, a certain aspect uh, of, of the difference. Um, but ultimately, um, what the New Testament sort of explodes um, is the uh, contractual nature uh, of the, this exchange. The, um, uh, strict justice um, because one of the difficult questions, one of the things people think of when they think of a tithe is 10% um, and that uh, that no longer obtains in the New Testament which becomes yeah. one of the very difficult questions, how much am I supposed to give? Right. Yeah. The Lord doesn't give us an answer. Uh, he addresses it to our heart. How many children should I have? How much <laughs> should I pray? Yeah, I mean yeah, that's right, a yeah. question for our conscience uh, yeah. and it's an invitation to our generosity yeah. um, which is a terrifying thing in a certain way. That's an important point. It's a terrifying thing because it isn't like the tithe was there in the old and what a
3: relief! It's no longer right, right, if a tithe right. is required, more is expected. Right, as, right, right. as more is given.
2: I mean, right. a lot of Catholics, uh, and and I don't exclude myself, are terribly minimalistic. Mm-hmm. What is the very least uh, I can get right. away with, right, right. And, right. and still uh, uh, benefit from salvation? Yeah. But that that's the wrong attitude.
1: Yes, right. <laughs> the Lord would would probably think so. I mean, he he says uh, challenging things like unless you abandon all of your possessions, right. you right. cannot yeah. be yeah. my disciple. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we need. To Take this
3: seriously. And and in Matthew 23, he says to the Pharisees, "You tithe mint, dill, and Mm cumin, which are the smallest seeds in the marketplace, (laughs) but you neglect the weightier matters of the law." Mm -hmm. But then he goes on to say, "These things you should have done: the tithing of mint, dill, and cumin, but without neglecting justice and mercy and so on." Right. And 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 so. The tithe is sort of the foundation on which the new covenant is based. Mm -hmm. And so if it's not going to be renewed as a strict stipulation, it isn't going to be abolished as something that we are
2: now sort of exonerated from. But but Father, the practice of almsgiving, it it doesn't have to uh, immediately parlay itself into cash, right? Right. It can be the gift of self. You give anything, uh, you share.
1: Precisely. Well, right. that's, that's why in this, this broad sense, it's, it's a work of mercy. It's the external uh, act of love. Uh, yep. So, almsgiving uh, is a particular uh, act of beneficence, right. which is the external form of benevolence, which is the principal effect of love. Right, yeah. right. Um, yep. So, yes.
2: So, it's not enough to say, have a nice day. Right, even if that's. And
1: James an externalization is clear on that one. That's right. That's, right. that's right. That's right. That's right. And so to administer to the needs of others, the corporal yep. and spiritual needs of others. Right.
0: And then not to, to lose the point, we're not saying you don't have to give financially mm-hmm. or otherwise, but it's not just right. that. Right. Uh, and right. and it's, it, it is much deeper than. Um, you know, just simply looking at the ten percent—that's what a servant would look at and say, "Okay, mm-hmm. this is what. What do I need to do minimally to get by?" Right. right. But really, in the in the truer, fuller sense, uh, almsgiving is going deep of the gift of self mm-hmm. in some yeah. way to your brothers and sisters in a very real and, and tangible way.
1: Exactly.
3: I think it's important too for us to recognize that tithing is no longer binding as a judicial precept that you mm. find in the Mosaic law. But if you, look at, uh, if you look at the tradition and how the church has lived, especially in Catholic countries, you have in places such as Italy and Germany and France, an ecclesiastical tithe mm-hmm. that the state authorities actually exact and then extract for the church. And so, I don't want to sustain the misimpression that the tithe is just simply obsolete. Right. Uh, but again, the tithe is something complicated in the old and probably more so in the new because it wasn't a tenth of your money it was a tenth of the increase of your herds and your crops and your flocks. Mm-hmm. So it's naturally, you know, something part of a, an agrarian economy. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you transferred the tithe from crops and herds and flocks to money, the, the Mosaic law actually stipulated that you had to add an additional fifth. It was sort of a disincentive to just reduce it to cash, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, yeah. And, and so we have to rethink a lot of things that we find in the old that fit in the new. And I think the best way to do it, as you, you know, as you've already indicated, is by looking at our Lord and what He's saying in the Gospel, because it's, it's, it's profoundly radical and deeply disturbing. Yeah, it yeah, is. yeah, yeah. It is.
0: Well, and, and if we can, in the flat, last few moments of this segment, um, why, why is this important in Lent? You know, why does the Church put this uh, opportunity along with prayer and fasting? Why, mm-hmm. why is that tied in as the, the triumvirate, if you will,
1: uh, sure. within us? Sure, sure. Well, uh, for, for multiple reasons. Um, It's an act uh, of penitence in as much as, in the first place, the Lord tells us that those who show mercy will be shown mercy. So uh, it's uh, a way of recognizing our own need for mercy to uh, distribute it to others. Uh, It's also an act of confidence uh, in the Lord's own gracious gift of mercy. It's a reflection. Uh, of that mercy, but it's in this way it's the principle and first uh, response of penitents when those come, uh, penitents come to the Jordan River and uh, to uh, John the Baptist. They say, what shall we do? And he gives them a whole lot of economic stipulations. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the way you should respond uh, with your money in uh, in concrete acts of charity and mercy. Uh, towards those around you. Uh, It also of course uh, is an act of detachment. Um, uh, Money is the universal uh, material, um, it's uh, commutable to all material things and this is why the love of money uh, is the root of all evil. Um, And so uh, it detaches us from uh, avarice and over attachment to material things and opens us up uh, to the spiritual.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's profound because I, I, I do, and I think that's something beautiful to realize that, that our detachment, our looking at others, our, our, our predisposition during this Lent uh, to really empty ourselves for mm-hmm. Christ and for yeah. our brothers and sisters—that this isn't something exclusively just for us, but it benefits us uh, in, in so many profound ways. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That is that is really wonderful. Um, is almsgiving only a catholic practice when we, when we think about it
1: from, you, you've been studying this and looking at this, yeah. is this something, obviously we've seen the Jewish roots of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well it's funny, uh, in the ancient world you have Julian the apostate writing a letter um, uh, to his pagan uh, priests, saying we need to uh, take care of our poor because only the Christians and Jews do. So there is a way in which right. uh, revealed know. religion brings this kind of love into the world. Uh, but then it exists especially in the great monotheistic faith. So one of the five pillars of Islam is zakat, which is uh, the giving of alms. That's, I think, inherited from uh, Judeo-Christian mm. um, practice. But certainly Catholics um, uh, and Jews... Uh, Uh, practice alms uh, out of the love of God. Hmm. I
3: think that's a profound point that you make about Julian the Apostate. Here is an emperor who is reigning in Rome in the 4th century after Constantine had already converted and had legalized Christianity. And he has rejected Christianity and he recognizes that Christianity is growing precisely because they not only take care of their own poor like the Jews do, they take care of our poor as well. We must stop that, you know. And uh, what a challenge it is for us to advance the new evangelization by sort of, you know, the, the same sort of means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you
2: know, I mean his motives are, are suspect because of, of imperial pride. We can't yeah. have those damn Christians uh, uh, besting right. us in the marketplace of right. giving. Right. Right. right, that's right. Well, um, we've been talking about almsgiving here
0: on Franciscan University Presents. Now let's go to what are some of the benefits uh, that we see uh, in almsgiving. You're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us.
4: As the Lenten liturgy frequently repeats, God offers to us sinners the possibility of being forgiven. By drawing close to others through almsgiving, we draw close to God. It can become an instrument for authentic conversion and reconciliation with him and our brothers. Pope Benedict XVI, 16th, 2008 Lenten message.
1: My name is Michael Villanueva. I'm majoring in philosophy and theology. Last semester, I had sacraments. With Dr. Han. And uh, I'll tell you right now, it was the best class of my entire life. A- every class, I'm just knocked out of my chair. It hits me like a ton of bricks. The beauty of the truth that he's speaking to us. Something so simple, but so beautiful and so profound and so powerful. Franciscan University is academically excellent and passionately Catholic.
0: Tuning in to Franciscan University presents. Uh, we've been discussing today almsgiving with our special guest, Father Anthony Chambroni. Um, Father, when we talk about almsgiving, um, how is that really uh, different? Uh, you know, how is Christian charity different from secular philanthropy? How does the how does the two, if they're the monetary exchange of goods, uh, mm-hmm. if you
1: will, how does that how does that differ? Yeah, that's a good question. We just uh, talked about. Julian the Apostate in this uh, kind of sense that we're not doing what the Christians are doing. There is uh, a long tradition, uh, a pre-Christian tradition in the pagan world of what's called euergetism, which is um, good deed doing, and it's usually done on a magnificent scale, and it's usually done with an inscription of your name uh, <laughs> in a mosaic right. somewhere, yeah. and we still see this as people donate buildings and, uh, and stadiums and things like this is Uh, Very often uh, it's a a way to kind of capture status and, and promote the self. Um, so uh, the first distinction, of course, would be uh, the, the question of motivation. Don't let your uh, right hand know what, or left hand know what your right hand is doing. Mm. Um, in, in the tradition, uh, alms giving is ex compassione propter Deum. Uh, so it's done out of compassion and for the yeah. love of God. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's an act uh, in response to the principal commandment because uh, we give uh, because we are friends with God. We're friends with those who are friends with Him. Yeah. Uh, which is <laughs> the whole. Human race and so uh, we love those that God loves and this uh, this becomes the uh, internal impetus uh, to uh, our acts of almsgiving and in that way uh, gives it a form uh, and a merit that's uh, different than uh, yeah. kind of it, it, it seems
2: to me that what drives philanthropy in a secular sphere is a principle that's what animates uh, mm-hmm. the generosity but for the Christian it's a person that's right I, I mm-hmm. see Jesus uh, in in this in his doleful disguise mm-hmm. in the countenance of the poor and I'm moved by that possessed by that love of,
1: of Christ precisely and yeah he, that's 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 Matthew 25 I mean uh, why does the Lord command us there are multiple reasons but one is because Uh, uh, you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. We Mm. actually identify this uh, with our Lord, um, which is a very different thing. It it can be a noble principle. It's not to to denigrate philanthropy. Um, It can be vainglory, but it need not. Yeah. Right. You know, C.S. Lewis talks
2: about a senile benevolence. I think this comes out of his problem of pain. He's trying to distinguish love from the counterfeit version. Mm-hmm. And he uses the example of the rich uncle mm-hmm. who throws money at his nephew because he can't bear to be with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so it's a senile benevolence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it masks uh, a deep dislike and indifference uh, uh, for this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's what Christianity rescues us from. It It, it introduces is the personalist equation. You're doing this for me, a Mm -hmm. person. And And, that that motivation uh, makes all the difference.
1: Well, precisely, and and that's why the widow's mite can be worth as much as the one who who, uh, builds a building or throws a lot of money at his... uh, his
2: Although I'd rather have a check from Donald Trump than (laughs) than the widow's (laughs) mite.
1: (laughs) At the same time, I think we want to distinguish
3: the the motivation, which is absolutely right-headed, from the object because there is a sense in which Uh, The object of philanthropy is sort of the common good in Mm -hmm. the natural order. And if this world is all there is, then philanthropy is really all we need. Mm -hmm. But if, as we find in the Sermon on the Mount, where the teaching on prayer, fasting and almsgiving is located, it begins with the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes begin and end with the promise of the Kingdom of Heaven. Mm -hmm. Now, If we have an earthly kingdom and nothing more, philanthropy works. But if there's a heavenly kingdom that is united in a mysterious but metaphysical way to our world, Mm -hmm. then suddenly we see a proper object there through the eyes of faith that identifies, you know, compassion, mercy, almsgiving, with something that ensures the common good of a supernatural society, Mm -hmm. of a heavenly kingdom that isn't less real than an earthly society. It's just Mm -hmm. less tangible. Mm -hmm. But it's much denser and more real, especially when we have the gift of faith. And so this just shows how faith leads to the hope for a kingdom in heaven, but hope leads to a charity mm-hmm. that makes eminent theological sense. It's almost as though we deny the very faith we confess when we refuse to give alms or we do so only to be known as generous by our right. you know, our confreres. This so, is-
1: well, this, this is uh, exactly it. I mean, uh, it's an act of love, but it's an act of, uh, of faith in a very particular way. The Lord tells us, uh, win friends for yourselves uh, in heavenly habitations. Um, St. Leo the Great used to play on this a great deal, the notion of creditor. Um, mm. The book of Proverbs has this line that uh, he who gives to the poor makes a loan to God. The poor person isn't going to repay you. Um, no. The Lord is the one who undersigns the agreement. So, he's the one who's indebted to you. That's Say that right.
3: proverb again.
1: Uh, that's just uh, uh, the, the one who gives to the poor uh, makes a loan to God uh, and in that sense believes that he will be repaid uh, uh, he's a creditor because he's a believer credo right. in that sense right. the creed. Um, so this is uh, this also deeply animates uh, Christian alms in, in a way quite d- distinct from uh, from secular philanthropy
2: it, it's sort it's God entrusting himself to uh, the goodness of of his creatures mm-hmm. hoping that will turn out well and and do things for him dispense mercy yeah. Right. Yeah. right he he doesn't um, just—he doesn't just give us the faith. Right. He puts his faith in us. Right.
0: Yeah. 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 You know. And what? A, what a gift! To, be able to to have ownership <laughs> yes. in that. In some way, right. I mean, to right. really be able to say, "I am investing in mm-hmm. this," and and you know, as they, uh, so many stories throughout the Gospels talking of, "Don't invite those who can mm-hmm. repay you." I mean, how many stories do we see uh, where that is what Christ's example was? And when we do that. God is in a, a certain sense indebted to us. That's a profound thing that it, through almsgiving yeah. we can share not only uh, a, a, and be philanthropic in helping someone else but truly yeah, giving to God in a, not only just in the person of Christ uh, in the poor but, but in a certain sense that he is now indebted to us. That is a profound mm-hmm. thing. I mean that's that's something
2: that we'll right. be meditating on. Well, well Scott today. you mentioned the Beatitudes uh, and uh One of them uh, in particular really strikes me, uh, purity of heart, because if you're pure, you see God. Uh, Mm -hmm. And in giving to others, if you're motivated by a genuine love, a disinterested charity, there's no self-interest, you're just doing this for the pure love of God, you see God in the person that you minister to. Uh, And that's an amazing uh, conjunction. Here is Jesus uh, in this incredibly unspeakable disguise, the poor, you know, the unloved the unlovely. I mean, that, that's an amazing uh, equation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, You
3: know, you were just speaking a moment ago of the parable of the unjust steward, one of the most problematic and troubling yeah. passages in all four of the Gospels. And it's only in Luke, and it's in that material that you find in Luke 14, 15, and 16, mm-hmm. where you have a series of parables and teachings that... Uh, well, I think we tend to avoid, I mean, except for maybe the prodigal son, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, the, uh, and the rich man and Lazarus. But the, uh, the idea that we find Jesus in the poorest of the poor, yep. uh, I think we, we, we come full circle and we recognize that Jesus has identified Himself with us. He's in solidarity with us. That's why He became the poorest of the poor, not just for us to find Him in the poorest of the poor but for us to recognize ourselves right. as the poorest of the poor. Right. You know, when we recognize in the parables that Jesus gives in Luke 14 that when you have a banquet, don't invite your family, friends, and rich neighbors who will repay you, because then, you know, it's, it's all over and done. Invite those precisely who can't repay you, the poor, the main, right. the lame, and the right. blind. You know, and, and why? Well, when, when, you con- when you continue reading the parables, you realize ultimately that God is describing to us why we've been invited to the feast. Because we're the poor, the maimed, right. the lame, and the right. blind. And then suddenly it's like we recognize that our material affluence can really cover up our spiritual poverty. Right. Right. And then faith illumines that mystery and enables us to recognize, again, the purely logical sense in which we ought to give alms and mercy to other people or else we short-circuit what God is doing for us.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. and I mean, we're all poor, right? I mean, you know, Plato says we're children of poverty and, and Giussani uh, uh, makes the point that it's it's the beggar who's the real protagonist of, of human history. He acknowledges, I have nothing, and so my arms are outstretched begging Scott to invite me to his home because I have nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to acknowledge that is really to be anchored to the truth. I am nothing and I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that I have have nothing which means I can receive everything mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and and to just take
0: another uh, direction on this we, we've heard about uh, in the past uh, some of the connections between almsgiving and repentance mm-hmm. you know what what are those connecting points uh, between repentance and, and almsgiving
1: well, uh, as I said, I mean, this is the first form uh, of repentance that we see in the Gospels when the announcement of the kingdom comes. Uh, the announcement of the kingdom and the Beatitudes, of course, is, uh, first of all, uh, a recognition of our poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in terms of um, the relationship between, uh, between almsgiving and repentance, um, I suppose uh, part of it is... Um, uh, the fact that, uh, as we said, there's this uh, detachment from avarice, and the detachment from uh, the love of all material things. Um, there's also uh, the question of satisfaction. This is uh, a very important theme that uh, arises uh, in, in the Old Testament, and more in the New, St. Peter tells us that love covers a multitude of sins, Um, Sirach says uh, that alms uh, quenches sins like water on fire. Uh, This becomes a huge theme uh, for the fathers of the church uh, so that you can get some uh, quite exaggerated statements actually about uh, the importance of uh, of almsgiving, but that it's like a second baptism or something, that it completely yeah. washes us and cleanses us uh, precisely because it's an act of mercy, um, and uh, it, it overcomes our sins in the way that you know, light is stronger than darkness. It, it conforms our hearts uh, to the love of God, imitatio Dei, God is the one who gives to the poor, and when we give to the poor, our hearts are attuned to the Lord.
0: Right, it's you almost know. like we are cleansed by, by participating in his act of mercy, his act of yeah. mercy towards
2: us. And, 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 and how could it be otherwise if God is pure gift, right. you know, love, diffusive of itself? So when we participate in gift giving, we're most like God. Mm-hmm. We yeah. imitate him yeah. in, in this wonderful way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, I mean, that's sort of inviting. Mm-hmm.
4: You know,
3: you know it's, it's so significant, too, that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to God as Father 17 times which is more references than you'll find in the entire Hebrew canon, 11, you know. And so, everything you do, you do so that it's seen by your Father in Heaven, for He will reward you in secret. You know, uh, everybody who believes in God, you know, fights the tendency or the temptation to see God as in in master-slave terms. Mm -hmm. And so you're doing things out of fear, of fear of getting caught, fear of getting punished and that sort of thing. But conversion really takes place and the seed of faith is sown in the soul precisely when that notion of divine sonship Mm -hmm. suddenly is realized and you realize that that what I'm doing here is really for the Father. Mm -hmm. And it's not only that, but it's like what you were saying, Regis, it's just like the Father, Mm -hmm. you know, that we, that He created out of love, that He redeems out of love, and that He keeps forgiving out of love. And so, are we more holy than God to withhold this, you know?
0: Well, and, and there's a beautiful part, I, you know, I, I work in fundraising uh, here at Franciscan, um, but you know, whether it's EWTN or, or so many other great organizations, when people have the opportunity to give, mm-hmm. um, I believe it's just, it's a profound opportunity for conversion of that person. Mm-hmm. You know, where they are giving of themselves in a new and profound way. Where they, they see something different, you know, where they're, they're given a chance to be a part of something that is beyond themselves. So whether mm-hmm. it's the poor, whether it's educating, whether it's evangelizing, Whatever spiritual, corporal work, there's just an opportunity for God's grace, mm-hmm. and, and to me that's profound. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the, uh, leading from that, you know, are there benefits? Because you know you hear sometimes Christians talking about the benefits, uh, even the temporal uh, benefits that come along with this uh, of giving. You know, does God promise benefits uh, with almsgiving?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh- Yes, <laughs> he, he does. Um, the, the Lord registers a whole, whole lot of these, as we said, uh, winning for yourselves a treasure in heaven, uh, yeah. this, this whole uh, notion of uh, heavenly benefits, but then uh, benefits accrue to you in this world as well. This is one of the things that Sirach is particularly strong on. Um, uh, of course ultimately uh, it is the benefit uh, of expanding the glory of God um, and uh, you know there's the uh, line you shouldn't let your uh, left hand know what your right hand is doing also you should act so that others see uh, the good that you do uh, that they might give glory to God this is how you should do it is precisely so that there is a lot of glory involved I mean the uh, the misstep of philanthropy perhaps uh, is uh, the um, uh, attribution of the glory to man instead of to God. Right. So there, there is uh, a kind of uh, largesse, something uh, magnificent for the world to see um, and it's uh, in part the establishment of the kingdom of a just order. Uh, these are the things that Christianity can bring is uh, an experience, uh, a foretaste of the eschatological kingdom even here. This is what you start to see in the Acts of the Apostles where there's actual charity. This is something beautiful that touches people's hearts. Right. They want to participate in uh, in a world that uh, that loves them, that recognizes their their dignity.
3: So if the fathers are exaggerating when they describe <laughs> when they describe almsgiving as a second baptism, at least they're erring in the right direction. Yeah, you
1: right, know? Yeah, yeah. right, right, precisely, right.
0: precisely. We've been talking about almsgiving today. Um, in the final, uh the third segment, we want to talk about um, how to give. You've been watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us.
4: Almsgiving, according to the gospel, is not mere philanthropy. Rather, it is a concrete expression of charity, a theological virtue, that demands interior conversion to love of God and neighbor, in imitation of Jesus Christ, who, dying on the cross, gave his entire self for us. Pope Benedict XVI, 2008 Lenten Message Every time, when for love of God, we share our goods with our neighbor in need, we discover that the fullness of life comes from love, and all is returned to us as a blessing in the form of peace, inner satisfaction, and joy. Pope Benedict XVI, 2008 Lenten message. Explore the treasures of your Catholic heritage on a Franciscan University pilgrimage. Led by
2: inspiring spiritual directors, you'll walk in the footsteps of saints and martyrs in the Holy Land, Poland, France, and Italy and you'll deepen your love for Jesus Christ through daily mass, confession, prayer, and the joy of Christian fellowship.
0: Let Franciscan University lead you on a pilgrimage of faith. Find out more at franciscan.edu slash pilgrimages. tuning in to Franciscan University Presents. Uh, This entire program springs forth from the heart of Franciscan University. Um, It is taped here in our communication arts studios here in Steubenville, Ohio. Uh, Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment. Um, Our panelists are members of our theology faculty here at Franciscan University. Uh, Today we've been discussing almsgiving with Father uh, Anthony Chambrone. Father, we've talked about um, kind of what almsgiving is. We've talked about some of the benefits if you will, uh, of almsgiving, but really, uh, how do we give? Uh, And I think maybe it's easier for us to say, are are all Catholics, many of uh, those who are are listening or watching us today are saying, you know, do I have to follow the the prescriptive, sell everything we have and give to the poor? Uh, Mm -hmm. Is that the sort of uh, approach that we have to take as Catholics? Uh,
1: Well, that would just sort of affect a grand swap where you'd have a different set of people with all of the resources and a different (laughs) set of poor, I suppose. Um, no, um, no more than uh, all are called to celibacy. Uh, at the same time, uh, there's um, an unsettling dimension of what the Lord asks. This is one of the the, the um, intentional ambiguities, I think, in the gospel, is we're not told how much. Um, right. We're yeah. simply told everything, whatever that means yeah. for us. Um, we're told to, to give to the point of death. Um, to, uh, so um, I would say that uh, the, the question about how much to give um, in the tradition is settled um, by the concept of the superfluum. Um, there's a precept, in fact, you have to give that which is excess to those who are in need. It's not determined what that uh, uh, superfluous wealth that we have is, but it's clear that that has to go. Uh, There is in fact uh, a just right to um, our own needs and to uh, maintain um, one station in life um, with all of the things that are attendant on that. But (coughs) beyond that, uh, it belongs to the poor.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. profound. I yeah. mean, so we're not talking, I mean, I think there's always been a good marker of the, the 10%. You know, people often talk mm-hmm. about what, what should they give, but really, you're saying is, uh, and I've heard uh, Frank Hanna and some others talk mm-hmm. about this, where there is this excess that that really almost entirely belongs.
1: That's uh, that's the position of the Church Fathers. That's the position yeah, yeah. of uh, of St. Thomas. Um, and that's what the Lord says to the, uh, to the Pharisees, is yeah. uh, what remains, uh, give and all things shall be clean. Yeah, I mean, right. the, the,
3: the social doctrine of the church identifies the universal, universal destination of, of all goods. And so, you know, we, we, we certainly affirm the right of private property, but at the same time, we balance that with this severe warning about uh, contentment, but also not hoarding. I mean, you can't give alms until you've stopped hoarding and uh, uh, taking things that are beyond, but I must admit, That itself is challenging. I mean, even before we graduate and get into high school and almsgiving and that sort of thing, I mean, uh, identifying what is superfluous Mm -hmm. and then relinquishing it.
1: uh, It's difficult. I mean, the parable of the rich fool challenges us on exactly this. We build our granaries in in anticipation of the future. There's a certain uh, way in which, you know, Joseph and the just steward and so forth is is, uh, also appropriate, but one should recognize that it's easy to be a fool here. Right. Right. Well,
2: the rich young man, is not a fool and yet he goes away sad right. he goes away abashed because he had many riches mm-hmm. and I think what Jesus is asking of him is is that he give himself mm-hmm. he dispossess himself that's the ultimate self donation and yes. it it is I think for most of us the most difficult yeah. the most challenging it's going to happen anyway uh, yeah. when you die right uh, you You're, surrender you yourself give it all away but it would be nice to make a kind of uh, oblation of mm-hmm. that self I, I think of that scene uh, in Bernanos uh, the Diary of a Country Priest, he's uh, confronting this woman, uh, the Contessa, mm-hmm. whose heart has become a kind of arctic circle. And and when he finally prevails upon her to repent, she asks, how much do I give? Mm-hmm. And he says, you give to God everything. Mm-hmm. Withhold nothing. Mm-hmm. Surrender everything. Because that's in imitation of the limitless self expenditure of Jesus and she consents to mm-hmm. do that. It's an overwhelming moment uh, in the
1: novel. That's right. Yeah. So in In a very real way, all are called to give everything uh, in a way appropriate to their state in life. Um, so yeah the, the challenge isn't mitigated uh, in, in any sense
0: right right and it seems to me that it's just common sense where you have if you if you don't have rich you won't have any opportunity to give if you right. don't have private property you can't give mm-hmm. but all of those are bent towards the universal destination of goods where mm-hmm. you know your your ind- industry your, your hard work, your effort hopefully produces wealth that mm-hmm. you can then charitably give as opposed to being forced to give necessarily yeah. where there is no right. virtue. Necessarily yeah. involved, yeah. Right. but but that then is is really a whole different message. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are are many of those who might be listening uh, today who, um, you know, are just just making ends meet. Uh, mm-hmm. So there is a justice of them providing for their family and taking care of the education and rearing of their right. families and so forth. Um, but I think there's still, even those, are not exempted um, mm-hmm. from giving. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a certain yeah. true sense that all of us are called, regardless of our state in yeah. life, regardless of our abilities, mm-hmm. uh, but hopefully we should be able to have more wealth to give. Well, uh, this is, right is in, one
1: of the ways as well in which the broader sense of almsgiving as mercy uh, is also helpful that uh, uh, it's not simply uh, financial benefactions but uh, it's a gift of self right. um, and this mm-hmm. is a call to deep deep generosity at every level of our uh, every level of our existence our, our entire life
2: yeah. well isn't that the criterion finally for admission into the heavenly kingdom have you shown mercy yes mm-hmm. I mean yes. We, we have a colleague Jim Harold a, a lovely man who always tells his students on the first day if you show up for class, you're going to get mercy. If you don't, you get justice. Nobody wants <laughs> justice. But really, God is more demanding. Right. He wants He wants us to show mercy. Right. You know,
3: the rich young ruler exemplifies the model in our society because rich, you know, he's wealthy, he's young, and we want eternal youth, and there's power, authority as a ruler. And, you know, he, he goes away sad because he couldn't think of anything except what he had to give up. Mm -hmm. If you just shifted the focus to what he would get in return, Mm -hmm. you know, he would get the kingdom of heaven. And in in that same passage there in Matthew 19, Peter asks the question, you know, we've given up everything. What's in it for us? And Jesus doesn't rebuke him for asking the question. He just says, you'll get back a hundredfold with persecutions in this life, you know. (laughs) And so, you know, it's a healthy reminder. I've always enjoyed this phrase that came from the Journal of a Missionary, who was martyred, you know. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. Yes. And that's precisely the reminder that our faith continually renews within us, you know. Right, so. yeah.
2: But well, you know that that scene in uh, A Man for All Seasons uh, mm-hmm. in the prison cell where Moore mm-hmm. is awaiting his his judgment and execution and his daughter shows up and she tries to plead with him, after all, Father, in reason, haven't you done enough to satisfy God? And, and Moore says, look, it isn't finally a matter of reason. It's a matter of, of love. Right. And mm-hmm. you can't put a price tag on love. You give everything mm-hmm. for your beloved. And and he does.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Father, I, I know Something that, that I tend to struggle with, and I think many do, is when we go to some very specific examples and mm-hmm. looking at saying, "How do I give to the poor?" Mm-hmm. as opposed to um, you know some group that I may have great trust in. There's a there's a, a beggar on the street corner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where does prudence come in? Where does charity and, and prudence work together? We yeah. have someone. We've all experienced it on a city street with somebody asking for you. You're not sure what what to do in that situation. Can you yeah. give some advice, yeah. uh, insight onto
1: that? Well, prudence obviously figures in as it does with with every moral action. And so uh, the first estimation of prudence in the giving of alms is uh, a reckoning of the needs of the recipient uh, and uh, the resources of the beneficiary um, or the uh, benefactor. Um, so uh, that's a first estimation that has to come in. Um, the, the counsel that you find uh, many of the saints giving um, is, in the first place, um, God lets his sun shine on the good and the <laughs> wicked alike. Yeah. Um, and in some sense, uh, if this is to be a reflection of the love of God, it's not as though people have to come with their moral credentials. Right. Um, mm. And uh, while on the one hand, uh, one doesn't want to be an enabler, if that's evidently what's going to happen, Uh, If money gets squandered uh, in a particular way, that's, um, in some sense, uh, immaterial, I suppose, to the act of generosity. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's obviously important, um, particularly when we think about uh, institutional acts as well, that one doesn't want to enter into material cooperation with evil. Yeah. Um, and that can happen at a broad level or at a personal level. Uh, but generally, uh, one needs to uh, defer to the impulse of generosity. Um, and mercy is that which doesn't respond to the merits of the individual, but the misery of the individual. Yeah.
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yeah. Deuteronomy doesn't give us the basis for any kind of uh, calculus. At the same time, you can see that um, the, the two tithes that are given, you know, the tithe that is given in the first, second, fifth, and sixth year, uh, fourth and fifth years, you know, is to the temple, the mm-hmm. central sanctuary. Then the poor tithe that is given the third and sixth year is given to the, the poor in your local area. And so, you know, there's a sense in which we really ought to target the church as the central sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we ought to make provisions for the poor. I think we then also apply prudence in a way that, okay, we can't give to Planned Parenthood, even if it's a 501c3, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. We yep. can't give money to the person who can't afford the abortion as she's going into the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we, I think we can recognize the priority of giving to the believing poor... Not to the exclusion of the unbelieving poor, Mm -hmm. but to the the prioritizing of that, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, it ought to begin with the household of faith, and then spill over like it does with our Lord, who sends the sunshine and the rain upon the just and the unjust. We turn the other cheek. We give the
2: you know, but you so don't want to push that too far I because know. Then, then you insist on the membership card. I mean, have yeah, you been right. baptized right. because otherwise I'll look for the more deserving poor. That very phrase, I, I, mm-hmm. I think, uh, sends up red flags because mm-hmm. it's so patronizing. It's become a kind of shibboleth. I mean, there's an implicit programmatic project. Only those who deserve mm-hmm. my charity uh, will be the recipients of it. Right. Well, if anybody deserves charity, nobody gets into the kingdom right. because we all deserve to go to hell. Right. But happily, God uh, doesn't make those uh, distinctions. He's not a cancion. On,
1: on yeah. the other hand, what, I mean, uh, an important aspect of this is that giving to the church is a recognition that the church is the poor in, mm. in the privileged sense. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. It's the identity, the, the anawim, uh, this kind of uh, person in the Old Testament yeah. uh, that receives all the benefits uh, of God. So uh, it's important uh, to give this privileging without recognizing that... Uh, uh, even on the outside, um, there's, there are those who are called uh, to uh, be brought in precisely through these acts of mercy. Right.
3: You know, yeah. perhaps you remember the uh, exchange of Walter Hooper and C.S. Lewis. Walter Hooper was walking down the street with C.S. Lewis, and. Lewis just instinctively reached into his pocket and gave to a beggar, and uh-huh. a moment later Hooper asked him, you know, aren't you concerned about how that guy is going to go spend it on alcohol or whatever? And he said, frankly, I, I'm not so concerned about what he's going to do with the money, but I was more concerned about what I would do if I retained it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and the concern over that, that sort of disordered right. deta- attachment,
0: you know? Yeah. 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 yeah, and the primary the primary obligation needs to be charity, needs right. to be thinking first and foremost about that, not that we, we disavow all prudence, not that we disavow right. all yeah. of our insight looking at the situation. Yeah, there, there, but, that that right. beautiful
2: story of Lawrence, the deacon of Rome, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. the emperor demands, uh, you bring the riches uh, as soon as possible mm-hmm. and he shows up the next day yeah. with all the poor yeah. of mm-hmm. Rome, the teeming masses. It, it got him barbecued, but but nevertheless, yeah. it got him yeah. into, into paradise. And that was true charity. Right? That was true right.
0: charity. Gift of self. And, yeah. that, and that, you know, you, you don't just become, uh, you know, he showed and then lived <laughs> that, that full <laughs> gift right. of self. Right, uh, right. And I think that's what what we're really talking about with almsgiving Mm -hmm. it it is it is the charity it is the gift of self Uh, even more uh, necessarily than just a prudential action uh, it's really the profound thing that we are all called to as Christians we've been discussing almsgiving today with Father Anthony Jambroni please join us in our final segment as we do our our highlights and our our final thoughts here on Franciscan University Presents stay with us
4: You cannot serve God and mammon. Luke 16 13. Almsgiving helps us to overcome this constant temptation, teaching us to respond to our neighbor's needs and to share with others whatever we possess through divine goodness. Pope Benedict XVI, 2008 Lenten Message. According to the teaching of the Gospel, we are not owners, but rather administrators of the goods we possess. These, then, are not to be considered as our exclusive possession, but means through which the Lord calls each one of us to act as a steward of His providence for our neighbor. Pope Benedict the 16th, 2008 Lenten Message.
0: My name is Kelly Butler and I'm a Communication Arts major. I took independent digital filmmaking. Definitely intense. Many all-nighters in the editing lab getting things done. Pope John Paul II has a quote, Do not be afraid to go out into the streets and into public places to preach Christ like the first apostles. That's what we're called to as Catholics and as Christians. You have that responsibility that every work you create should reflect Christ. Franciscan University is academically excellent and
2: passionately Catholic.
0: Come to our final segment here on Franciscan University Presents. We've been discussing almsgiving with our special guest, Father Anthony Giambrone. Uh So now we're having our, our concluding thoughts. Regis, yeah. could you start us off?
2: Well, it's, it's always a, a, a challenging theme, I, I think, uh, this subject of how much do I give and why must I give. And it's particularly uh, uh, difficult uh, during a period of Lent mm-hmm. when, after a week or so, you've grown pretty weary of uh, this feast of austerity. Uh, I remember uh, asking a friend what he was giving up for Lent, and he said, I'm taking cold showers. And then he asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I'm giving up sugar in my morning tea. What, what a sacrifice, how heroic. And now you're telling me that I've got to make a gift of, of, of self uh, to others. Uh, one of the impediments, I, I think, apart from, from sin, that makes it difficult to be generous is the government. Uh, the presence of omni-competent government. We'll take care of everybody's need. Just sign up for Obamacare and they'll dispense charity. If you institutionalize it, then it, that removes, I think, a certain incentive, a certain impulse to practice charity. But another impediment is the nature of the world we live in. Uh, we live in a post world where people don't think of themselves in terms of having a soul. Mm. Uh, they don't even think of themselves in terms of being a citizen. I'm a consumer. I've got all this stuff, and this is what constitutes my identity. So why in the name of heaven should I want to part with my stuff? That's like jettisoning my very self. So. The, the evangelical uh, uh, necessity of persuading people, disabusing people of that post-modern twitch, I, I think is, is ongoing. And uh, you've got your work cut out for you because you're dressed like a poor man. <laughs> you've got to persuade us to be poor. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, that is great. Uh, Scott? Well, I appreciate
3: this conversation, and I also appreciated some of the materials that we had beforehand to prepare for the show. It reminded me of you know what I was discovering a quarter of a century ago in becoming a Catholic. And now, after 25 years, I realize two things. Number one, that the Catholic faith is much more beautiful than I thought when I entered the church. The second thing is that it's much harder than I realized <laughs> when I first became a Catholic. You know, uh, it's one thing to become a Catholic. It's another thing to become holy. It's one thing to know the truth. It's another thing to live out love. And what a challenge this is, especially when it comes to, you know, moving beyond just simply praying to fasting, uh, and then moving beyond fasting to almsgiving, and not moving beyond in the sense that we don't pray or we don't fast anymore, but there's a sense in which all three of them have to be coordinated. But almsgiving is definitely the one that really pinches us in some ways the most painful way, and yet it's also what objectifies how much faith we have and how much love we have. It it doesn't just tell us whether we have it or not. We can look at how little or how much we give and figure out how little or how much faith and love we have. And that, I think, is is an ultimate test and a challenge for us, especially in Lent, where we have to remind ourselves over and over again, the Lord can never be outdone in generosity. You know, that's not the path to the prosperity gospel but it's a reminder that there is a supernatural prosperity that we've gotta be really longing for and, uh, and living
1: for, especially in Lent. So thanks for joining us, it's yeah. really been good. Yeah, it is great. Father,
0: your closing thoughts?
1: Well, just, just as you're saying there, the, um, uh, the challenge posed by this theme is something that uh, remains startling to me. I have been amazed to uh, uncover particularly in the Fathers of the Church, uh, St. Leo especially, um, the incredible intention, uh, attention that they give to this theme as just uh, indispensable, central dimension of uh, Christian behavior. And I feel like in a lot of ways it's been mitigated, perhaps because we live uh, in a society where uh, government takes care of uh, a lot of this. But um, to let it um, confront us uh, with the basic call ultimately to martyrdom, I mean, to this uh, gift of self. The example of St. Lawrence is is very apropos, I think. Uh, precisely the one who ministers to the poor is the one who gives himself uh, for that very reason. Um, St. John says in, in the first letter, uh, let's not love in word alone, but in deed. And that's... That's simply uh, what the call to alms-giving is: is to actual uh, external manifestation uh, of the love of God by uh, the love of neighbor for His sake. So it is; it's uh, it's the metric of our authenticity as Christians, which is uh, which is a frightening thing, but also uh, uh, an encouraging admonition. Uh, sure. It shows us the way in which uh, we should behave as Christians. Um, There's a neat exchange between Gerard Manley Hopkins and Robert Bridges' uh, exchange of letters. Bridges was an agnostic who wrote to Hopkins and said, uh, how can I come to believe? And Hopkins replied, give alms. Um, Mm. And, uh, in fact, give alms to the point of sensible inconvenience. (laughs) Um, He says, uh, we should feel virtues that pinch us uh, that we have to pay a high price for. Uh, and uh, if anything can change a man, that will. So this is the sort of thing that uh, precisely because uh, it's uh, external, precisely because uh, it's communal, but motivated by uh, the internal love of God, it touches the whole person uh, in, uh, in his fullest context. And so in that way, can transform the full person. So it's, uh, to me, it's, um, it's a centerpiece of the gospel. Uh, and the way that we can be uh, transformed by the love of God.
0: Mm. Uh, well, thank you, Father, for joining us. Thank you for uh, all the work you're doing. It's, uh, it's great to see alums of Franciscan out there uh, teaching and preaching, and, and, and by your own life, uh, just giving uh, witness uh, to this uh, in your study, but also just in your, your very character. Um, if you've enjoyed uh, the topic for today, almsgiving, uh, we have a, a handout for you, uh, some excerpts from uh, Pope Benedict, uh, a message for uh, his message from Lent that has some great insights from our Holy Father on almsgiving. That's available at faithandreason.com or uh, just for asking by calling us. Um, today we, we've had a, a, a profound opportunity to look at the, the, the third pillar, if you will, of, of our spiritual practice during this Lent: prayer, fasting, and, and now focused on that almsgiving. Um, when we hear this, the, the first passage uh, in Scripture that comes to mind is from Second. Uh, Corinthians, where you know, the, the, the one who uh, sows sparingly reaps sparingly, the, the one who sows abundantly reaps abundantly, and for every man must make up his mind uh, on what he should be giving uh, without reluctance, without compulsion or, or coercion, uh, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, I think that we're all being challenged. What can we give uh, to the Lord? Because in that passage, the hidden part is that God loves a cheerful giver, which means if you want to really experience God's love in a profound way, you're going to give of yourself joyfully. Uh, This is taking our theology uh, and making it incarnational. Uh, It's both for our own spiritual benefit, uh, for the spiritual benefit of others, but for society as a whole. Uh, This is something that we can't escape uh, during this Lent. This is something that is a gift, and I guarantee you, you will receive uh, tenfold Uh, whatever you give Um, this is this is a profound thing and not just even spiritually Uh, do we trust uh, in the Lord is faith hope and love and and love is the one that remains Uh, if if we left nothing else uh, but we loved greatly and we had no money left uh, this is something that we should be very proud of and this doesn't escape us whether we're poor or rich we are to be giving alms Um, This program comes from Franciscan University. This is a a part of our mission. Our mission is to form the students who are transforming the world. And I want to invite you to be a part of our mission in a new and profound way. Perhaps by coming to our summer conferences uh, or joining us on one of our pilgrimages. Maybe receiving your degree here on campus or through our distance learning program. Uh, Visit us at faithandreason.com It's a new online initiative for the new evangelization so that you can become more informed, possibly even during this year of faith with videos and talks and and full episodes of past uh, Franciscan University Presents as well as the handouts we discussed here today. Thank you for joining us here today. And until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you.
4: To download the free (laughs) handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithandreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents, or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888 333 0381. That's 888 333 0381, or call 740 283 6357.